Welcome to the Yana podcast, a mental health podcast where we're going to talk about life, hear stories of strength, and get all in our feelings so we can remind you that you are not alone. Our hosts are me, Carly, and Becca. Both of us are super passionate about mental health, advocacy, education, and shattering that stigma. We love creating opportunities for young people to share their stories and experiences about navigating mental health and life in general. The content of this podcast may contain mature subject matter, such as discussions about suicide, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual or physical violence, as well as the use of strong language. Listener discretion advised. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) It's your Um, two favorite girls. (laughs) Your two favorite girls with accompanied by another another favorite girl. Um, so let's do that thing we do where we tell you why we do this. Uh, so Carly and I work for NAMI. Yes, we do, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, NAMI is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization. And Beck and I have the privilege of getting to work with NAMI Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, uh, NAMI does a lot of different things, um, we provide adv- or we are advocates. We uh, we offer support. We have a bunch of different support groups. We'll tell you about some at the end, and then we also provide education and awareness. So one of the programs that we offer is called Ending the Silence, and Ending the Silence is a teen mental health educational awareness program where we go to schools and youth programs, and colleges, and wherever and we talk about mental health and we you know go through warning signs and suicide prevention and um stigma reduction and it's always accompanied by a young person who shares the story of their mental health journey so since covid (laughs) things changing we haven't been able to do things the way that we would typically do them. So we decided to start a podcast. Yay. (laughs) Yay. We wanted to still be able to give young people a platform to have conversations surrounding mental health, share stories and just be awesome. So therefore, (laughs) therefore, this is never going away. No, it's never going away. This is just the, this is just going to be the way. Part of the script. Um, yes. <laughs> we give birth to the Yana podcast. So, Carly, what does Yana stand for? <laughs> oh my gosh. I sometimes can't believe we're friends. <laughs> Yana stands for You Are Not Alone. Yay! Yeah. We were really excited when we came up with that super creative title. <laughs> yes. I think it's creative. I think so too. I think it's cute. Right. And it's exactly what we want this podcast to be like, right? We want people to feel like they're not alone, that they can connect to the people that we're bringing on. And it's just cute. Yeah. So, all right. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm a little out it's of the weekend. Days. So everyone knows we are, we are recording this here podcast on a weekend. Yeah. So we're extra casual today. Yeah. Yeah. 
So today, I am so excited about this guest that we have today. Um, well, first I'll introduce her, Irene. It oh, so we have Irene. Hat <laughs> today. What is wrong with me? It's a weekend. It doesn't I know. Count. I'm it so tired. Count. I'm so tired, and I felt like crap the last couple of days. So. Um, Irene spent eight years pursuing an academic career in speech and hearing sciences, an endeavor that eventually led to a mental health crisis. She is now working as a scientific writer outside of academia and is passionate about helping other others transition to industry careers. She is a trained cardio dance instructor and an advocate for integrating mindful movement into a self-care routine. She is presented at NAMI's Ending the Silence program. Um, encouraging kids to be mindful about and flexible in their career goals. In her spare time, she loves to cook, read, and hang out with her two rescue cats, Juju and Bolt. I yeah. love that. <laughs> Hi, Irene. Hi, guys. Hi, Irene. I love me. it. Yay. I love that you're a cat lady. Oh, I'm such a cat lady. I could. You are. Uh, if I could Soul. have more. We're soul sisters, truly, truly. Cats are my favorite living beings, besides my children. Do you have cats? <laughs> I have cats. You have cats? I have two cats. They're my world. Besides, like I said, besides my actual human children, my cats are like my rider ties, man. She's got two cats, a dog, and four children. Her house is... <laughs> House. I, should house. Start, I should house. start charging admission for people to come <laughs> over. <laughs> it is a literal zoo. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Irene, we love you and we're so excited yeah. that you're here. Um, before I'm we excited too, and I just want to say I don't I know you usually don't record on weekends, so thanks for having me. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> oh, this of is course. great. Yes. This is we are so excited that you're here. Um, and we wanted to make sure we had ample time to talk with you. Um, but before we jump into you and your awesome story, I want to do my check-in, see how everyone's doing. Um, and then I'm gonna ask my question of the week which is always very riveting and super full of just good stuff. And this question was inspired by a friend of mine who is recently, um, she's pregnant and she's, we were talking about weird food cravings and like weird like food combos that people like, but is like so strange, but it's delicious. Or like your favorite midnight snack. <clears throat> Because she's like, I can't stop eating at night. Like I'm a, I never was a snacker and now I'm a snacker. And I am a tried and true snacker. <laughs> late at night snacking is like my specialty. So I want to know what your favorite either late night snack is, or if you have like a weird food combo that tastes delicious, but sounds crazy. I'm going to share my weird food combo so that you guys can get inspired. Okay. I'll also check in. I'm doing great. Um, I just got done exercising. Um, so I feel good and motivated for the day. For those of you guys who are avid listeners, I'm obsessed with my Peloton and it has been such a big part of my self-care recently that hasn't been a part of my self-care in years past. And it's been a really cool thing to like move my body and to find appreciation for my body in ways that I didn't before. So it's been a really cool part of my self-care and I make sure I do it like have time for myself all the time. So that also feels good to have like me alone time. So I feel good. Yeah, it's good. 
Um, my weird, okay, and people can judge me, but I'm telling you, don't knock until you try it, okay? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> oh, boy. So, and I saw this from a friend who I was like, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard, but I'm going to try it. So, what she does, and what I do, is it pickles and nacho cheese Doritos. I, like, kind of thought that this would have to be about pickles. <laughs> I love pickles. So, it's, you take a pickle, spear or pickled chips and you crunch up nacho cheese Doritos and you like coat the pickle in <laughs> the nacho cheese Dorito. That actually sounds amazing. Yeah, and you good. eat it. That doesn't sound bad. And no. it is so <laughs> delicious. I was like, what is that? Why are you doing that? Oh and I gosh. tried it and I cannot even tell you the amount of deliciousness that it is. It's like so good. <laughs> so nacho cheese it has to be nacho cheese Doritos like don't get crazy okay it has to be nacho cheese Doritos crush it up and I will put them put them in a little baggie put the pickle in the bag and like shake and bake it you know oh my god and it just like oh it's that so weird that does it's sound so good. good right I like so pickles. I, yeah. I I highly suggest you all to try that weird snack and give it a go so that's my weird snack Okay. Um, so I'm excited to hear your snacks because I obviously am a snack. <laughs> so Becca, how are you? And what is your favorite midnight snack slash weird, weird snack. food combo? So I'm okay. I'm tired as hell. I don't know. I mean, I just have felt like crap last several days. I don't know what's going on. Um, I've been in quarantine because um, my brother uh, my family member, my brother-in-law, whatever has COVID. So, um, and I was around him. So I've been in quarantine. Um, I do not have it, but so I've been kind of like remote and I'm feeling it a little bit. Um, and I don't know if I have a cold or what, but anyway, um, I'm getting by. Um, you look great though. Oh, well, thanks. You're so cute. Um, like I don't think I have a weird snack I it doesn't have to be weird I'm just weird so it doesn't yeah. have to be weird it can just be like your favorite midnight snack like you're at home watching Game of Thrones yeah. <laughs> and you're like what am I gonna door dash <laughs> well so okay but I mean I guess like last night I could tell you like last night I don't know why I try not to snack at night actually but because I get stomach aches but like I actually last night was up like I don't know what was going on, but like, I was like forcing myself to stay awake for some reason, you know, like I was really tired, but I wouldn't let myself fall asleep. It was weird. And so I got up and I ate, like, I ate ice cream and I was like falling asleep while I was eating it. But I was like, I still got to eat it. Yes. <laughs> I was mad at myself for doing What was the it, flavor of ice cream? It was mint chocolate cookie. Uh, like ben and Jerry's. Jerry's yeah uh-huh the best it's the Solid. best and I don't know but it was weird I was like stop eating the ice cream while I was eating it and I just couldn't it was listen thing you gotta respect Ben and Jerry's and eat the whole thing Oh, it's a disres disrespectful, really. <laughs> <laughs> it was like almost pathological. I don't even know. That's a good, that's a good late night snack though. Yeah. You did email me really late last night and I also was up really late and I'm like, she's like emailing me at 1am about this. She's like mm -hmm. really intense. 
I did, you know what? And that was part of that. I was like falling asleep while I was writing that email. And I was like, but I just, I just got to send it. And I just like, it took me so long because I was literally falling asleep. And I, it was part of my whole thing. I don't know what was going on. Like go to sleep, girl. Like there's no reason why you need to stay up. Just go to sleep. And that's probably why I'm so tired today, but I did sleep till 10. So I don't know. Wow. I also got to sleep in today because my wife is an angel and let me sleep in today so I feel extra refreshed. what's your version of sleeping in how late oh sleep? for me so this is another thing I can shout out to all the couples out there if you're married and or coupled this is a thing that really is beneficial if you have children my wife and I rotate every Saturday and Sunday we have a sleep in day where one mom gets to sleep in while the other mom wakes the kids up and does all the things. So I can sleep in, I can wake up at nine, 10, but then I get to stay in my bed you and like, watch. Read, I can read, I can watch TV. I can work out in peace. I can be by myself for the entire span of the like morning. And then, I mean, it's fantastic. So yeah, every Saturday or Sunday, we get one sleeping day a week. So I slept in until 11. <laughs> wow. I slept in until 11, which doesn't happen, but I did. And it was great. So nice. So wait, nice. you slept till 11 or? I slept, literally oh, opened wow. my eyeballs at 11. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I woke up at seven and then went back to sleep and woke up at 10. So that was really late for me. I yeah, I felt like I slept till four. Like that's how I felt. Like I'm like, whoa, <laughs> it's eleven, but it was great. So anyway, anyway. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Tell us how you're doing. What's good, and then give us your your snack. I am. I'm doing pretty well today. I have had a rough couple of days. Um, this month in general, like February sucks. Like <laughs> it's really rough with the with it being so dark and my apartment doesn't get a ton of light. Like that's really messed with me. Um, but also February is the month where I spent like most of the month in the hospital two years ago, which I'll talk about later. And oh. yesterday was actually like the anniversary when I got out of the hospital. Uh. And like, um somatic memory around that, like it's real like my body knew it so it was a rough week I would say mm. um I did not sleep well last night and I think that's probably why yeah um but be, but I'm good today I'm feeling good what yeah. is my snack yeah um, what's your I snack? Mean, like my my typical snack is always just like very high quality dark chocolate like 70 um. plus percent Ooh. <laughs> um yeah like I like finding different kinds and just savoring them but not savoring enough because <laughs> too quickly um and then like recently I guess this is this for most people isn't a snack by itself but for me I can make it a snack by itself I've been like getting really into hot sauce from Ooh. watching hot ones the YouTube hot wings show Have yeah yeah it's like a show where um, a guy interviews celebrities and they eat progressively hotter wings. And I'm like, I've always loved hot food. Why have I not like explored this more? And yes. like, now I'm like actually like getting into it and like seeing what I like with what food. And that's been really fun. That is really oh. fun. I too like hot sauce as well. So I do not. I'm uh, everybody likes put puts hot sauce on their food and stuff. And I do not. 
I like buffalo sauce. That's kind of hot. And it's kind of hot. Frank's hot. Yeah, Frank's Red Hot is solid. It's hot. Than a buff- buffalo sauce. Yeah. Got it, girl. You, so. like, you like a little hot sauce. <laughs> Very I, good. You know who likes hot I sauce? Hot sauce. <laughs> Shay, my daughter. She's two. Really? Loves <laughs> hot sauce. <laughs> she likes it. She goes, that's spicy. <laughs> that's a spicy. No, right. I, I love it. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, she'll probably be like, really, like, she'll want to see the heat, really. If she ooh. likes it, I can handle it now. She likes it. She likes <laughs> big flavor. She likes like vinegar, lemon, hot sauce, like all the big, like, wow, potent flavors. And people are like, oh, like, she like lo- loves it. Um, like, so anyway, <laughs> like, we could talk about snacks. All day. <laughs> I know I could, I could totally not talk about snacks forever and ever. Um, going to make me hungry. I know mm-hmm. I, I am kind of hungry now. <laughs> now I want Doritos pickles. Not I, hot sauce. Not, hot sauce. I don't know. My stomach's been, I think maybe it's because I have really bad reflux. Yeah. That, and, it won't, it then Doritos, that. pickles, and hot sauce won't work for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Triple whammy. <laughs> Triple whammy. That will be a bad situation. Yeah. It's enough that I drink so much coffee. Um, so anyway, Irene, yay. I just, so I'm so happy that we finally did this because I know we were planning on having, you know, recording with you few months ago and then we had to cancel for some reason and then when it came to rescheduling you had some stuff going on but first I just want to say that I remember when you came into my office for the first time and we sat and talked for like we were hours (laughs) we were instant friends we like totally connected on so many things I think your story is super powerful and um and I really love like there's just so many interesting components to your story that I feel like so many people can, can connect to. There's so many things that are relevant to the times that we're going through. And just, I don't know, I think you're wonderful. And I'm so happy that we finally got to do this. So start wherever, you know, we'll, we'll jump in. We'll- yeah. Tell us who you are. Tell us yeah. a little bit about you and kind of, I guess, what walked you into Becca's office? Yeah. What walked me into Becca's office? What I'm trying to think back. It was in 2019. Um, I'm not sure. Like maybe like mid year. I had just I had come back to Philly in like September maybe. Um, so it had to be like maybe at the end of the year. Um, and I was coming off of a, a psychiatric hospitalization that year. So um. I can kind of go back and tell you a little bit, like I'll give you a summary of what, I mean, led to it, even though it was kind yeah. of years, years and years of kind of pursuing something that I thought I had to, that I thought I had no other choice and um, years of kind of ignoring my intuition that led to an eventual like total crisis where I couldn't keep myself safe and had to go somewhere voluntarily because I knew I couldn't keep myself safe. Um, and I always, I think I started the Ending the Silence presentations by saying I'm from Ukraine because that's an important piece of yes. how I was raised to think about mental health or maybe not raised at all to think about mental health is another way to put it. Can I throw something in and we can talk about this mm-hmm. off mic 
but I just found out we re I did my family did the 23 and me and I know oh. I told you that my family comes from Russia but we found that we have some family from the Ukraine area oh cool and yeah that makes sense we can, we can talk about really that cool. later yeah, yeah that's really cool yeah so. I, I've never done that but but I've always thought of myself as like pure Ukrainian I'm sure I'm not I'm sure there's other stuff in there yeah, but, there um, were a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. I came to the country when I was eight. Um, and I mean, basically for the pursuit of better jobs for my family and better lives for us. Um, and right away, there was like a huge focus on academic achievement. Um, and I mean, I was constantly stressed in school. I was constantly putting pressure on myself. It didn't just come from my parents. I felt like that's what kind of we came here for. Um, so like this whole like me pressuring myself and being really anxious and staying up all night, all night. And that really like, like the culture that doesn't allow, I think for creative thinking outside the box um, and really <clears throat> staying flexible and open to what like life can offer with with an education like um that kept me on a very narrow type of path like where I graduated high school then I went to um college and I went to college in upstate New York and University of Rochester and like that was fine like college was college and then when it came time to move on and figure out what to do that's when I kind of felt like I had to be figured out. I saw people that weren't figured out and like wanted to take a year off. And I'm like, that's not gonna be me. Like, that's gonna stress me out so much. Like, I wasn't really taught that it was okay to explore. Wow. It was always like, like you need to like pick a career. And like, there was a lot of emphasis on money and there was like also emphasis on like the highest degree. So my grandpa, um, he passed away recently, but he was a mm. linguist. He was still living in the Ukraine and he was, he was a professor. He had a PhD in linguistics and kind of like following in his footsteps was always talked about um, or like, like the very stereotypical like high money-making careers that I had no interest in like law and medicine and things like right. that. And was that part of your, like, your entire life, essentially, right? Like, you had to stay on this narrow path. You had a lot of expectations, a lot of pressure to, like, achieve this, like, big dream. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think, like, you know, my parents did so much to come here, but it wasn't, like, without strings attached for us. It wasn't, mm -hmm. like, we did this so you could achieve what like you could be whatever you want it was like we did this so you can have a better life and a better life means making money so you can have what we didn't have so it's not something I fault them on it that logic makes sense um but it's a very different way of thinking than some like more progressive parents that say like I have a child and like my job is to show that child that they could be like they could have a career and be happy that, that, that there isn't like this box they need to fit into mm. so it's interesting yeah go ahead so Beth. the historian side of me is always and this is like what we bought like what we talked about forever I think is like because like I like to look at like roots of culture and how you know like and how that affects people and you know who they become and their mental health and everything too and like when you 
the Ukraine at that time was part of the Soviet Union, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I find it so fascinating. Like I have, um, my cousin's wife is um, from Germany, but from East Germany. So like she was raised in like the communist Germany kind of, you know, and I, and the Soviet Union obviously was communist. And like when she came here and was trying to like, you know, like the whole idea of like switching from communist to capitalist society and like selling yourself and putting yourself first and all that kind of stuff was like such a change for her. I'm always like so fascinated by like, you know, it sounds like, you know, your family, what, what you said, your family came here for a better jobs and like that kind of stuff. So like the capitalist system, I guess, more like to, to be beneficial. And like, I just am so, I'm so, I just, I mean, I could go on about this stuff, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you are a historian. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, so it's, it is very complicated. I, I actually haven't thought mm -hmm. too much about like how that system affected their thinking because like, like I was born in 88, I think by 91, Ukraine wasn't right. any longer Soviet Republic. So it was very recent, like, and then okay. they moved in 90, we moved here in 96. So it's very, like, it's all very intertwined. But I think, yeah, I think a lot of it was tied to a culture of lack. Like when my mom was, she was a teacher and she said, sometimes I didn't know like where my next paycheck was coming from because they would just withhold them because there wasn't any money to pay us. Like I didn't know how I was going to feed you. So then mm. coming here, of course, they would want like a very comfortable life and think kind of in thinking about comfort in this unidimensional way where like if you just have X amount of money, like you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So, so we have so many, we have so many I know, questions. I have so okay. many. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, I can tell you a little bit about how that led to my choice to go to grad school. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that maybe wasn't, I don't, it's not a choice I regret. I don't regret my PhD. It's why I was able to switch into industry and do what I'm doing now. But this choice that I made, I don't feel like I made it very mindfully. I feel like I made it because I wanted to have myself figured out after college that I wanted to have something to do and with the PhD as challenging it is to actually go and complete a PhD you're also figured out for like at least five years like you're right. there doing something and you're kind of locked in and you can you don't have to like figure out um really anything beyond that for a little while um so I ended up looking at um labs where um, I, I uh, looked at uh, stroke survivors and specifically language rehabilitation in stroke. So I did behavioral mm -hmm. language research um, and I ended up moving to Seattle, Washington to pursue a PhD um, for five years doing that. Um, and again, like when I think back to my choice, um, it, it didn't, I didn't think about it that hard. <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. I, I, it was kind of like the next logical step. I'd worked in labs. I had the right classes for it. Like I did well in college and that kind of thing um, versus kind of thinking outside of the box and saying, like, I, I didn't entertain the idea of just going from college to a job mm -hmm. and seeing how that went or like what I could even do. I just mm -hmm. felt like more school made sense and like, because like all my friends were going to more school too. Right. We were all like, 
that like that's what we did I feel like yeah. it's common like in those like higher level even like the higher level like um, undergrad and grad programs like that's just the trajectory right like that's right. just what you like that is what you see your peers doing is achieving and continuing their education and getting as much training under their belt as possible and education under their belt as possible so it makes sense I feel like that your peers were doing that as well because I feel like that's the message that is in that higher level learning community yeah, that and I think sense. the other message is that college isn't what it used to be, and you're not going to get a good job outside of college. You need extra education, and um, that's not really always the case. But yeah, um, yeah, I saw a meme about that. I saw a meme about that yesterday. Like, you know, like you need a college education to get a job, and then it's like job application must have a master's degree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like, what they say. Like, like the master's degree is the new bachelor's degree now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I like, I chose definitely, I definitely didn't want to get a master's degree because they're so expensive. And with a PhD, oh. you don't pay for it. Like you get a stipend, you teach, you work for it, but you're not mm. having extra loans. And so I was like, that's I the think thing. I knew that. <laughs> yeah. Like if you do a PhD, right, you, you get <laughs> like a teaching assistantship or like you don't pay for it because like think about it. Like if someone went and did like a five, six, seven year PhD, Ooh. that's like so much debt. Oh yeah. my gosh. Um, yeah. So I was like, well, that's logical because at least I'm not going to be adding to my debt from college and mm -hmm. I'm going to get like the highest degree. And that was like really important to my parents, especially my dad. Cause I, I explained to him, I'm like, you know, professors don't necessarily make a great deal of money. And I know that's important to you. He's like, he's like, yes, but it's the highest degree you can get. So it was just like money and prestige and prestige Good. was like, enough you, I guess did you feel pressure in all of this I feel like just listening to you tell the story I would feel so much like I have to perform well mm -hmm. I have to achieve the highest like that just feels pressureful to me yeah. did you feel yeah, that there was a ton of pressure yeah pressure growing up so and I want to go more into like what you're talking about right now but I want to go back a little bit because you said you did feel this pressure to succeed and you achieve the highest level like and I want to get to grad school and I mean to to PhD to your PhD program and everything but like when you were going through school like like elementary middle school high school were you like how were you handling that pressure then as a young person as like a right. younger person? Becca likes to bring you all the way back I do I like yeah which I back. think is really I think that's really important I wasn't handling it really well I think the culture of my my parents um moved us to um I I grew up outside of Chicago and my parents specifically okay. moved us to kind of like the most like um inexpensive neighborhood in an expensive neighborhood so we can go to a certain high school right and that high school had a very good reputation it was public but it like had the reputation of more of a prep school type okay. um, of situation had like a ton of AP classes and especially during junior year like I mean I think I maybe probably like went to bed at 2 30 and woke up at six like on most nights and it was junior uh, year it was that year is the like yeah year for people the stress I feel like more so than any yeah. other year yeah it was not a normal I would say like it was not something that 
was healthy and it wasn't just like me like everyone in that kind of track like the people that were in honors classes and took a lot of APs like we were all like oh when did you go to bed too oh well I oh went to gosh. bed before like it was almost a competition right because you were studying and working and that was the like the culture within your your school your home your community like that's what everyone was doing yeah and like teenagers should not be staying up till four doing homework like that and and the thing is I had I had friends in high school but I like didn't have much of a life like going out because I was always doing work I like never never dated in high school like I didn't have like that childhood that like I feel like people should have I people I think people should like start learning about stuff like socials like socialization is really important in high school and I just don't feel like I got a lot of that because all the focus was like Mm-hmm. all this AP test at the end of the year and all this Oof. stuff and so it's, it, it's, it's something that really strikes me is my mom said that after she saw how that school impacted us she doesn't know if she would have made the same choice of yeah <laughs> my mom said that, the same thing so, yeah, like, right. uh, because like <laughs> I think for her it was really important for us to go to like the best school of and course like, she said that like that says a lot I think about it I'm literally going through that right now with my almost three-year-old kid Mm-hmm. I'm like, she's got to go to the best preschool. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? For what? <laughs> but I, I feel like this weird thing as a mom to like give my kid the best of the best of the best. But yeah. I'm like, what is, what is the best, right? Right. What, right. what, makes, like, it, what makes it the best? Right. Like, I think that, um, you know, it's like they, especially like parents who come, you know, from lesser means, like, or from different society, like coming from, the Soviet Union or whatever that like they want to give their kids what they weren't able to have. They didn't have. You know? yeah. And like I think that that doesn't uh, like you just said like what is the best you know and like what is it that they didn't have that you need you know like it doesn't does that translate to like the best academically performing school that you know is going to put all this pressure on you. Or at like a school maybe that's more for the arts or, you know, like for like, I know my parents said the exact same thing. Like they might not have made the same decision for me to go to the school I did. It was very sports heavy and academic focused. And I'm not that, definitely not a sports girl. You're so, such an athlete, Beth. <laughs> such an athlete. But like, yeah, I think that's really, I think that's an incredible point that like, you know, it's, it's what does the best mean for your kid. And I think it's not like saying that anybody's parents are, are bad parents because they, you know, want their kids to succeed and put them through, uh, you know, a really highly academically performing school. Like you're, like you're talking about doesn't mean, you know, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to know what you want as a teen too. So yeah. So how did any of this, what did this look like this pressure, this, like this stress, like, what did that look like for you? Like in terms I of- think for me, it was just such like pronounced anxiety that I didn't really know what to call it because I just thought that was me. Like I thought that was just the norm for like my personality. So I never called it anxiety. Um, and I didn't really call it anxiety till college where I noticed um, that like I would walk across campus and I'm like why is my heart just like randomly beating like for Mm. no reason like like beating really quickly and like 
when I would like answer questions in class, like I was very, really nervous to do that, which I think a lot of people are, but I would again have like this really rapid heartbeat and um, had had still had a lot of anxiety around my work. And I actually like that, that was the point where I actually at the first time I made to see an appointment with a therapist because we had those like, you know, 10 free sessions per semester. Yeah, in college. And it was so scary for me to call. I still remember making that call. And again, my heart started beating like insanely just making a call for therapy and and, and college. Why do you think, why do you think so? Do you think that you were like, oh my gosh, I'm calling because I'm at like, I'm I'm at my weakest point or they're going to think something different of me or why were you scared? Do you think? I, I didn't think I was at my weakest point, but I think it was just something that was never talked about. Mm-hmm. Like it was just never talked about at all. Right. Mental health was not part of the conversation. Okay. Um, for us. And if it was, it was, I feel like it was always in like a negative light for me at least, right? Like when mental health like wasn't discussed at all, but if it was, it was always in a negative light. Yeah. So I, yeah. I get that fear. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. And I mean, I still have this problem with my parents. And again, this is not just a problem with my parents. This is a very much a product of intergenerational trauma, like very much so with like emotions just being weakness. Like you don't show them if you cry, you're weak. Like why, like, I mean, why talk about them? Like they're like, why focus on emotion? Like why just, just move forward and do your like like take action and things like that so so I think that's why because I know because therapy it's like you're you're confronting that very directly and and to me like the messaging I got like director and direct was like that's not okay Mm. I love that you just said mentioned intergenerational trauma because Mm -hmm. something people do not talk about enough and I think it's like not known about enough and I think it's really significant because there is this, I remember Carly, do you remember we went to a meeting like way back when we were starting ETS, Mm -hmm. the school district, and somebody was saying that um, like they came from, their parents were Holocaust survivors for the Mm -hmm. same. And like, they grew up where like their parents would be like, oh, you think that's bad? You know, like, Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, so therefore like they didn't have room to have their own mental health uh, concerns or like right. if there was mental health concerns, it was seen as like, oh, you're- Oh, right. Like you're anxious you're, or like, you don't even being, know what anxiety is. Like you have no idea what being, depression is. Or you're being a brat or ungrateful mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. thing like that. So I thought that was really interesting, but intergenerational trauma, like it can come from anything, you know? And I, and I think that that's really- significant. So thanks for mentioning that. Um, so what happened when you saw this therapist at in college? That was like the first time that I was really introduced to the concept of mindfulness, which was the something like it's now I'm like, it's crazy. I didn't know anything about it then because it's a big part of my life now. Um, and it's not I wouldn't say like she herself made a huge impact on me. I think therapists are very hard pressed to do that in like the very small number of sessions that are allowable in a for free at a university setting but I yeah. think she made it okay to then be like well when I can I can do this again and like it's made me feel not like ashamed of seeking, mm. seeking okay. it 
And I think also some, I found out that some friends I had in college also went to, went to therapy. So we started talking about it. Yes. That was really, really helpful too. I love that realization. Like when you finally like leap and like you do something that you think is like no one else does. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, well, I went to therapy and people are like, oh, I love my therapist or, oh, me too. Like you realize yeah. so many more people are like walking that journey with you than you ever would have imagined. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of, it's neat to see that, you know, that you are not alone. Yeah. When you think yeah. you are, you're not. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that I had that realization more and more as I grew up and became more comfortable with vulnerability, which meant that I was like able to share more, like that I, I go to therapy and how many other people do too. And, and now I think I'm like, oh, if everyone would just go, our world would be such a I know, I said, I was like, it should be required. <laughs> like every human being, like how we all have like annual physicals every year. Like it's part oh of God. our daily life. Like we should just all have a couple therapy sessions a year and then it's like this is a whole other conversation but the the terrible lack of access so many people have to it especially now is just horrifying and um, yeah I'm so grateful that especially now I have it in a very consistent and and very specific way I'm in I'm now doing a very specialized trauma therapy uh, Becca, I know you mentioned that you're going through something similar and um, yeah, it's, it's no incredible. joke, but it's, I mean, I'm seeing shifts like every session, which Me is too. amazing. I haven't really seen that before with like more traditional talk therapy. So. What, what um, can I ask what you're doing? Yeah. So I'm doing EMDR. Oh, right. Okay. I did some EMDR sessions too, Irene. And it rocks your world. Yeah. Can you tell us, can you say what it is exactly? Yeah, I mean, I, as much as I can, because it's yeah. complicated and not really completely understood, but um, it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing, I think. And the eye movement bit comes from the fact that like, it originally like people literally like moved their eyes while they were doing the therapy. But now the idea is like whatever bilateral stimulation, like you can tap your shoulders or things like that while you're doing the processing, like that will help you stimulate both sides of your brain. And the idea is if you get, if if there's like a negative connection that's like stuck with you, like for me, a really random one is like fuzzy socks and, and not being safe because someone at the psychiatric hospital had fuzzy socks on every day right um and like that's not something that's useful to my brain anymore so how can we reprocess reprocess and reorganize that memory in my brain in order to make that connection like weaker and make so like the bilateral stimulation part it partly comes from like like touching both of my shoulders or like moving both of my eyes like that's that's how I understand the like body movement associated with mm-hmm. it. So the bot, like it is fascinating to me, like what our bodies can do and our minds can do to like re, to heal and to readjust our thought process. It's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And that there's therapies like this one and others that are more, you know, holistic or different in, in the way in which it, it approached, like we approach it. It's not just sit down on the couch and chat with your therapist, which is great. Love that. 
Um, but there's so many options. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And I haven't seen the shifts I've seen with this with regular, more like traditional therapy. So I'm really grateful for it now. For sure. I'm happy for you. Yeah. So, okay. Well, actually, can, I'm sorry to do this right now because we're like on a good roll, but I think we really need to take a break. Take a breaky. Yeah. All right. We're back. We're back. So um, we've been like going in all different directions, which is fun because I mean, fun, but is fun and fine because um, I, because there's so many dimensions to your story and I just, I think you're so interesting. So, but I do want to get to like your point of crisis. I also want to talk about stuff that's happened more recently. I also want to talk about, you know, some of the stigma that you um, have faced and do face and um and yeah so why don't we just kind of like move up to your you know towards your point of crisis yeah so um the point of crisis came after like I, I mean I think literally eight years of like pursuing a PhD and then a postdoc and consistently like getting the message that like this like all you can do after that, like you're going into a faculty position, you're going to be a professor, there's nothing else. Like, and I really thought that um, I wasn't getting a degree that was very like hard sciences or biology heavy. Those have like very clear outside of academia careers. For me, I'm like, I'm going to be a faculty member. Like that's the only thing I can do. Like, so I kind of resigned to that fact and the doubts I've had, I had so many doubts. Like, do I want this life? Like, there's so little work-life balance. Like, do I even really care about most of the stuff I'm doing? Like, am I in making the impact I want? Like, I, I, ha I kind of just buried it all away because I thought that like, I had to do this in order to like sustain myself as a person, like financially, <laughs> like, and I'm like, well, what else did I do all this for? Um, and so I ended up looking at, looking at pro uh, professor positions and I ended up taking one in North Carolina in this tiny little town um, in Eastern North Carolina. And that's a really common thing to like go where you don't necessarily want to be because that's where the job is. And like coming from like a really diverse city like Philly to somewhere like, like really not <laughs> diverse <laughs> and, like, and like just a very different feel. Like I, it, it's just, that was a shock. Yeah, I bet. The biggest thing for me is that as soon as I got there is when I was like, I can't do this life. Mm -hmm. um, my partner, like that's what it took, like literally uprooting. And the plan was like, I would get there. My partner would finish up, up his year of teaching. So he teaches, in high, he teaches high school students. Then he would join me. And I was like, not only am I uprooting, to end up extremely unhappy like someone else is like joining me for this and I like cannot imagine sustaining this life yeah. and like very quickly got very destabilized like my whole mind and body got destabilized in a way I was like I never experienced before like mm. I stopped eating not because I was trying to stop <laughs> eating or lose weight I just had like zero appetite um I started stopped working out because I had no energy. I I couldn't cry, which really freaked me out because I like Oof. cry all the time. Like I'm a really emotional person. Yeah, um, that like, numb feeling is yeah, like, it's the worst. Yeah, and the biggest thing for me is that for 
I wasn't sleeping for a couple of weeks. And then for a couple of weeks, I literally didn't sleep a minute. Like I was just not sleeping at all. And like my whole body was telling me like, this is not okay. Yeah. And then I started having like really bad, like first passive suicidal thoughts. Like I'm trapped. Like this is, I'm, there's no way to like redeem mm. myself from this. Like it's either this life or like not being and I can't mm-hmm. do this life anymore. Um, so like what originally started as like passive, I don't want to be on this earth anymore, like super quickly turned active. And that's something that surprised me because I really thought like, this is a passive thought that's like not unsafe. And it really um, turned unsafe really quickly. Okay. Um, And I think that's something that's important to point out is that like, I think a lot of people say like, well, it's just passive thoughts. Like I don't need help. It's okay. I don't need to talk to anyone, but sometimes these, these these thoughts can morph into something that is like much more like life-threatening yeah yeah and, and can morph quickly right like you said like it's not like really it's, quickly yeah really I mean I was talking to a therapist I mentioned this to her I said like you know I'm having these thoughts and she's known me for years and like that knowledge along with like me like saying this is really passive and me being able to like articulate it really clearly she's like that's exactly what I'm seeing too and and like I don't fault her for, for that it would surprise mm-hmm. both of us a ton that it happened so fast and um and I ended up like going to Philadelphia for a little bit like for a weekend or something I think during like the soup I, I know actually during the Super Bowl because it's really like linked in my head um and it was really hard to say but I told my boyfriend I was like I'm having these thoughts like I'm really worried that I I don't know how to handle them and I said the same to my mom and it took a while for her to like really get that I was in danger like to really understand like this is not just like depression that's gonna go away like this is a crisis and when she did understand that like she actually like ended up flying to North Carolina when I also flew back and um staying with me and for the first few days first I guess for just a day she kind of tried to like be like it's all gonna be okay and she like took me grocery shopping and all this stuff I'm like I'm just gonna set you up here you're just not set up and you're gonna be fine like we just need to help you do that and was just like my mom (laughs) yeah I mean which I don't blame her for at all and she was just trying to help the best way she knew how oh yeah by the next day like that's when I went into work I was a complete mess and this is when I literally like went on a website and like did research on how to end my life and I was like that I'm not okay like this yeah this is all like horrified I'm like I can't believe this even exists like I can't believe this this right and then really started like making like the beginnings of a plan so that's when I called my mom and I was like I'm not safe like I have like as much as I don't want to end up in a hospital like I can't be here right now and then that's when we went okay well that that takes so much courage yeah I mean it does (laughs) to like be in that state 
of your mind and then realize like, holy crap, like I, I want more than this. I don't, this is not okay. Like this is not safe. I'm not safe. And reaching out for help, like yourself reaching out for help and like that is remarkable. And I am so proud of you. Yeah. I think the biggest, the hardest thing was that I didn't at all believe that my life was going to be any better when I reached out for help. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't think it was redeemable because like your brain is a liar at that point. Your yes. brain is a complete liar. So for me, honestly, like the biggest protective factor was my my partner, my family, my friends. Like I'm just like, what is gonna happen if mm-hmm. like how much hurt is there gonna be? Um, not yeah. like, oh, I can actually redeem my life because I really felt like I'm like, if I can't like if this isn't going to work out, which it's clearly not, I don't want this life. Like I can't have any other one. Yeah. And again, like my, my friend told me this, she's like, depression is such a liar. And it's so yes. hard to get out of that mindset of like seeing something beyond what's what yep. you're feeling now. Mm, that is that's, so powerful. It is. And that's why I say like, it's not about being weak. It's not about right. like when somebody does uh does end up dying by suicide that like it's not about being weak it's not about making a choice either like there's yeah I mean there, you can make a choice to call and tell somebody but like it doesn't seem like a choice at the time like mm-hmm. it does it seems like there's no other solution no other yeah yeah no and that is way. such a real feel like that's such a real feeling like you said Irene like you you can't see past that moment. Like you right. cannot, you cannot see past that, that moment. Your life ends here. Right. And that is a real lie that your brain, like you said, your brain is a liar. Yeah. And I like that you, what you said, like when you said, like, you think you thought about like your mom and your partner and like the people that would be affected, like, cause that's most, a lot of the times, like so hard to see. And I know for me, when I've been like, when I've been suicidal, I get like mad at the people that I, that love me, you know? Cause I'm like, well, I have to stay here because of them, you know? And it's like, but I don't want to, uh, it's like a, it's a weird thing. But it's mm-hmm. important because I know it's so hard to see that other people care about you and would be affected. Yeah, it's a huge protective factor. And I'm like, yeah, really because I didn't care about myself at that moment. Like, it wasn't right. me at that moment. Like, it was just right. like, I'm scared because, like, I know, like, how, well, I can't even imagine how much hurt it would. Right. And I mean, one of the like most heartbreaking moments when I told my boyfriend, he's like, think what would happen to me. Mm. Like, think about that. And like, well, I, that always had like the only reason I'm not like a puddle of tears is that I've done like so much EMDR around this. But because that's one of my like most like guilt inducing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, I was like, in my head, I was like, but I'm never going to be the me that you you love anymore I'm so far gone and that's another lie right like that's another lie but I was so convinced I'm like I'm like when he was saying I know she's in there I know she's in there and I couldn't cry I was completely numb like it was it was terrifying Mm -hmm. 
He sounds like such a great guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to all the partners out there, man, that are supportive, like unconditionally, you know, that is, that yeah. is a special I can't gift. say enough about, I mean, just the fact that, I mean, I'll talk about the hospital in a second, but he, I mean, he couldn't, he didn't have contact with me most of that time. And he, all he had to rely on faith and hope and just that and he's like I never lost it and I was like how did you do that how did you go to work and teach kids every day and like stay positive and he's like it's really hard but I knew that you'd be back like um yeah yeah so I can I can go on to it so we don't have to this is like wow. that, that's like really hard to to talk about but it's important well you because, did it because yeah, yeah um because again, like, I think sometimes people just don't realize how much other people care about them and want yeah. them to be here. Um, and I hope that like everyone thinks about that if they come into a really crisis, low crisis point. And like, I think it's just, I, I'm just so grateful I had the people in my life that I did to kind mm -hmm. of like say like, well, if I'm not here like it would really matter so yeah um and yeah so I, I the hospitalization itself like um I stayed there a long time I was there three weeks almost and that's like not normal it's usually like a five to seven day stay and um it wasn't a good experience like I'll I'm not gonna elaborate too much but I think it was a very traumatic experience for me and I know it was and I, a lot of the EMDR I did was actually around the hospital, but what I maintain the most, and this is what I like say when I do my ending the silence presentation is um, it kept me safe. And unfortunately we yes. have a system that a lot of times, like while you are safe because you can't hurt yourself, like a lot of the times you're not necessarily cared for in the way that you would want. Um, and that's what happened to me. Um, but so I just want to say like, this is not an ending the silence presentation. So, yeah. so that's why I felt like I could talk a little bit more about right, it. Right. Right. Like if you want to talk about it, like the point is to be real and have real conversations. Yeah. And so if you want to talk about it, you can, like, I don't feel, like, you know, we want to project this, like everything, if you know, everything is sunshine and rainbows when you want to get mental health treatment, because that's not always the reality. And I think it's important because we want to raise awareness. So like part of why we want to raise awareness is so people can be advocates mm -hmm. to make changes surrounding mental health, you know? Yeah. So I think it's yeah. if you want I mean, to, again, like, don't, I, don't. yeah, I, I don't want, and I will elaborate a little bit. I, but it's still something I'm processing. It's it's, yeah. it's crazy that like a lot of the stuff that happened there, I actually don't know if it's an, if I imagined it or if I were was real because I didn't have psychotic mm. symptoms going in, but they gave me so many unnecessary drugs. Like mm. when they were trying out drugs, I was on these high crazy doses that basically made me psychotic. Wow. And staying in that like very confined place made me psychotic. So wow. like, truly like, like, I don't know if certain people there are, were real. Like I really struggle with that because I'm a person who feels like she's usually really in control. And I'm like, I don't know 
if I imagine certain people or certain things, um, I thought that like people were after me. Like I thought the whole hospital at some point was like conspiring against me. Like it was a crazy experience. Like I would never want to relive. And I don't know how much of it was like being in a confined place that to me felt like kind of felt like a prison. And, and I think that's unfortunately how a lot of people feel. Um, Mm. but, but also being given all these like really potent drugs and I'm so sensitive to medication. So like when they just want to like get the next person in and out because they are, don't have enough beds and they're just trying these like aggressive treatments, like it's not precise. And so there's, it was a very, very difficult three weeks. And of course, like the more psychotic I got, like the less ready I was to leave. Yeah. Right. So that's why I stayed for so long. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's one of those things where I'm just like, it kept me safe. <laughs> I would stay right. it. It's just unfortunately with that hospital, that's the the how they operated to me made it feel very much like jail. Wow. Not that I know what that feels like, but right. you feel like. Yeah, from what your understanding of, but yeah. 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 Oh, that's and I'm sure that that experience is is held by a lot of other people, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I I've looked into some things and read some things, and I don't think my experience is a unique one at all. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, is correct. Like that, that is an unfortunate truth to a lot of our current world's mental health treatment. And like, I do say, like, I don't want that to discourage people from getting help because like you said, you know, or being hospitalized if necessary, because like you said, it did keep you safe, you know, but at the same time, like, and it's not everybody's experience. Like I had a wonderful hospital experience, you know, but like, I also, I also had the means to go, you know, to, to, to choose where I went, you know? Yeah, and this was not like a choose where you, I went kind of situation because I was in a really small town with like one really big medical right. center and like it was an emergency. Like it exactly. came really quickly and I had to go there. I was right. literally across the street from my apartment and we went. Right, right. And that's not the case. And I mean, and and that's, that's what happened, you know? So it's, uh, I'm just so sorry that happened for you happened to you um so what happened after the hospital it was a really hard like three months still I was like I felt like nothing had gotten better except I was still here and I still didn't really want to be and the turning point was when I decided I, I can't be in academia anymore like I'm no longer going to be controlled by fear because like look at me I don't I'm not living now, I'm just existing. Like it can't get worse. Like um, I have to I have to basically quit and then figure things out, which I'd never done in life. I'm just like, I'm not, like I always was practical and had a plan. And I really realized I'm like, no, I need to end my relationship with academia now. And then mm-hmm. I'll figure out what there is to do um, mm-hmm. because it was killing me. I mean, it was literally killing me. So I had to do it. And that was the turning point. And that's when I started talking to friends again and 
my friends in academia were like super supportive of me and mm -hmm. I started like kind of coming out and just to, to people who were like really helpful and saying like this is what happened like this is why you haven't heard from me in like several months like and I, I just got like so much support um like everyone in academia who I care about still being in contact with I'm in contact with and they totally understand wow um, and were you afraid that at one point if you ever came out to them and told them you were struggling they would think differently of you I don't I, I think like the people who I really cared about being in my life not really because yeah. they were such close friends mm -hmm. um, yeah so I um, fortunately not I, I, I love I love to hear that you had so much support around you know around that because not a lot of people I feel like sometimes people don't have that support you know and it's really it's really nice to hear that your like cohort of of people loved on you for that yeah I think like especially like being in my 30s like how I approach friendships even in my like mid late 20s I'm just like I don't do like light acquaintance like like it's like if I can't tell you my story then like right like, I don't really need you as a friend because like we don't have infinite time anymore I mean especially especially like I know I'm not preaching to the choir here like we, <laughs> especially with kids like I don't have kids and I still feel like it's hard to maintain like so yeah friendships like so I'm just like no like you're either a friend that I can be really vulnerable with and tell you what went on or like yeah probably, like we don't really need to be in each other's lives anymore. that's how I feel totally I happy. love that that I mean that is a lesson that I learned as like growing up you know almost like that quantity like quality over quantity yes. mm. like I don't need eight thousand friends I need like one I need one like good bud that there was a yeah listen to me there's a line from a G love song that my friend <laughs> and I love that we like always said was like my friends they were few but to me they were true <laughs> so yeah. that was like that was that was that beautiful Becca so thank you um okay so then once you did get on solid ground, then how did you maintain that? And then, you know, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so I I pretty quickly, like, well, I, I went to therapy and I worked out a lot. And that was, like, super important to me. Like, movement and therapy was really important. I went to stay with my parents in Chicago for a few months so I could, like, like just focus on healing um mm -hmm. while my boyfriend stayed in Philly um because he lived with roommates at the time and I'm like I need time to just be with me and not and I wasn't I didn't have an income now so I right. moved to our own um place yet so I kind of was like I need time to just like be with me and I, like I like worked out and um went to therapy and like my parents supported me which is like something they've always done like they've supported me financially when I've been through stuff like this which is also like such a blessing and something so many people don't have so I want to like shout out to that because yes. even like I always felt that I still really have trouble with the fact that I don't feel like I got like what I needed from them emotionally all the time um again because of that intergenerational stuff that they went through and like not really anything like that being talked about like in that way they were like very helpful in me 
getting back onto my feet. And then I really quickly, I have to say, I like really quickly bounce back almost like suspiciously too quickly, like in terms of job search and like figuring out what I want to do. I've always loved writing, like the writing aspect of being in academia, like writing about science and writing because we publish a lot and things like that. And that's like a big part of we we right. do the research and I'm like, I never want to do that again, but I like <laughs> writing about it. So, yeah. Um, so I learned about medical writing, which is where the industry I'm in now. And I'm like, how had did no, no one ever tell me this existed? like in my program, like, and this is again, the fishbowl of academia where it's just like not talked about. And I'm like, this is such a natural thing for me to do. And I rocked my job search. I have to say, like, I, I yes. really was like, this is exactly what I need to do. Like I like worked on my, like converting my giant size, like academic CV into a tiny little resume and like made a LinkedIn, which I like no one cares about that in academia. They're like two <laughs> different worlds. It's like, yeah. How, so I learned a lot really quickly. I know. I remember that you were like, you were like, well, I'm going to put my effort into getting a job now. And it was like, boom. <laughs> yeah. And now that I look yes. back, I'm like, that's been a little quick, right? Like, <laughs> it was I'm like I'm bouncing back a little too quickly. But yeah, I ended up getting a job by it was crazy. It was right after the pandemic started. Yeah. In April, 2020, I was hired. Like, and Whoa. that was just five months before I, like I, I started searching like five months before that. Cause obviously I gave myself like some sort of break. Yeah. The search. So like, it, it looked like everything was going like amazingly well for the first like six months of that role. And I was like loving it. And then my boss left mm. and like, team members left and people started leaving left and right and I just like really got exposed to some things about the company that made it really clear that I'm like this is not where I want to be this is not a great culture for me and eventually that led to a mental breakdown that I like 100% didn't expect because after um after kind of leaving academia having such a big transformation and having my mental health kind of like exponentially get better just by like saying bye to academia I was like this is not gonna happen again I'm fine like I I take care of myself I work out I go to therapy like I'm in a job I like like this is not gonna happen and it like not the same thing happened but I was in crisis I felt I didn't feel unsafe but I felt very vulnerable I couldn't sleep again um i very quickly called a therapist and my old psychiatrist so I acted very differently than I did at the time but I had a few really difficult months um, that I didn't expect um, that made me look at my mental health really differently when I stabilized um, yeah and like I so for like for example um, during that time I was kind of desperate for kind of any answers on like, how do I make myself stable? How do I make sure I sleep again? And like, um, I, I, I called Becca at that time. And like, yeah. my, my um, thought process was like, well, she's gone through some things that were like marginally similar. Maybe she can kind of tell me like what to do. And <laughs> yeah. really like, that's not how it works. Right. Like, Becca can be supportive and say this is not going to last forever and you're 
going to be okay and like she can she can listen but she's not gonna say like like just because she has an ex diagnosis like oh you have that sounds like this is what like that's not how it works and I think like that's when I called you that's kind of like because I like wasn't thinking clearly like that's kind of like what I wanted to find out like I was really struggling to label what had happened and my psychiatrist really wouldn't label it and what I realized is that it's because she's a good freaking psychiatrist mm-hmm. um, that she said, um, I'd, I'd asked her, I said, you know, I noticed that I have been on these before and I'm on these now. I noticed this drug is, is for bipolar too. And I've never thought of myself that way. Right. Like, why am I taking this? And I had a really hard time with that label just because I've always labeled myself as like anxious and sometimes depressed. And I just got comfortable with that. Right. And she, and she said, you know, I don't like labels. And what I'm seeing is like several um, symptoms of it. Like you can't sleep and you have this like, you have these racing thoughts. It's not that you don't want to sleep. I didn't ever have like energy and I wasn't right. I wasn't like manic. Like I could do a bunch of things and not not sleep. Like I really suffered for not sleeping. But she said you're not sleeping, and that you have these like kind of paranoid thoughts that like cycle. Like that makes me think that like this is a closer treatment. This is like something that's more precise than Mm. if I gave you an antidepressant that can actually like ramp you up more. And that makes sense, right? And so it's funny because I never really liked labels when I was doing research like we always had this um when I was doing like language research language is so imprecise and we use language models to try to understand the brain we have this like saying like all models are wrong but some are useful and it can be useful to label something as depression versus anxiety for that differential diagnosis but that does not mean that psychiatrists can always say like you have x Right. So when she didn't say that to me, it was like really hard to hear that. I'm like, but then what do I have? But really what's important is that she was treating the symptoms. She was treating what she saw based on like a label. Yeah. So that that was like a really hard thing to contend with first to hear that at all. When that hasn't been part of my vocabulary with how I talked about my mental health but also to then for her to say, I don't like labels. I'm not mm-hmm. like, yeah, it probably says that in the diagnosis so she can prescribe me that, that medication. She sure, has to sure. Oh, right. That's what I was going to say. It's like times the specific diagnosis, like they, you know, like writing down a specific diagnosis is insurance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. It's like, yeah, well, and like that's exactly what my therapist told me too. She's like, Irene, like, what is the freak out you're having? Because like, it's to us it's all symptoms like this makes no difference and she's like for me like I yes I use a code that says it says unspecified bipolar I think it's the code Mm -hmm. and and that's a code so I can it's literally a code yeah (laughs) like and so I but I had the hardest time with that for the first month or two I was looking stuff up online like all the time even knowing that I would never qualify for like any of those studies because I'm not a classic like case. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to kind of figure myself out and it's, I do not recommend the Googling. Stop the Googling. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't Google anything. That's what I tell people. 
No. Don't do it. It's not about the don't go to sometimes never. It, sometimes they yeah. help, but sometimes they do not. Any doctor would say, don't go to the internet. Yeah. <laughs> just look at symptoms. Yeah. But I just want to real quick, like, it's so interesting because symptoms, like, as a whole, so many diagnoses, if you will, share the same symptoms, yeah. or there are symptoms that overlap, or there are symptoms that, you know, are a part of various diagnoses. And it's just so interesting. I love that she's treating symptoms yeah, yeah. rather than like a full label. Cause you may not meet all the DSM criteria for X, Y, Z diagnosis, no. but like your main thing that you're struggling with is a part of another diagnosis. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Nice. And then like yeah. the stuff that I felt was the most prominent, I'm like, but why not treat my depression? And she's like, well, if we just treat your depression and this, this is very well documented, like for people who have that like ramped up thinking that she's talking mm-hmm. about, she's like what happens? And I think Beck and I talked about this. What happens then is that you can go into full mania. Yeah. Because an antidepressant can ramp that right up. And I had no idea, but that's why like, now I'm thinking back I'm like antidepressants never worked on me and mm-hmm. I thought they just didn't work on me and I'm like maybe they didn't work on me because that's not what I should have been taking right about it yeah right and I mean they can ramp up mania they can also sometimes cause suicidal ideation because Which when is, you're like yeah. so deeply depressed and you can't even think that way because it's like too much energy you know like it can then yeah. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, it's tricky. It's tricky. And um, yeah. So, wow. That's, I love, I, I think that this is so important for people to know, especially the fact that like, you know, it's, it's not like you get hospitalized, you do the therapy afterwards and it's like sun you know, better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, and I think sometimes that's kind of what's projected in the media, especially yeah. when like, I hear celebrities talking about this, that it's like, I did this and it was amazing and now I'm cool. Not always, not always. I think some people like we hear about, um, I like really like hearing their stories. Um, Who am I thinking of? She has bipolar disorder. She's a singer. Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. I think her story (laughs) is very, I think she, she has a really good way of talking about it and really talking about it as something that she manages daily. Like this is not something that's like just gonna go away, but. Um, I think sometimes like it is said like as like I did this treatment for a year I did therapy for a year and then I'm good yeah and it's it's like it's like you said when we were on our break and we were kind of debriefing right like someone who was given a medical diagnosis of diabetes or lupus or cancer I mean it's not like they just said okay I'm going to take this medication for a week I'm going to go to treatment one time and I'm going to be all the way healthy. Yeah, like it's right. something that you have yeah. to work through and with and on every day. And it doesn't get a break, right? You don't get on, you don't get a vacation from it either. You right. Mindful of it. So um, I, we, I, we're going to have to wrap up soon. So I do like, you know, typically towards the end, we ask for, you know, if there's anywhere that people can find you and stuff like that. So I know that you're not really open for that. Um, can you just talk real briefly about why? Yeah, and we talked about, about that, that. The beginning too. First of all, I barely use social media. Like I don't have Instagram, <laughs> so I'm not very interesting in that world. 
But yeah, it's something that I thought I thought hard about. And in some ways, I would feel really liberated if I would give you my last name and share my full story with you. And I feel mm -hmm. really safe doing it in this forum. But I don't feel fully safe right now with someone being able to look up Irene Minkina and like randomly find this. And the reason is, is also the reason I think you do this podcast in the first place is that there is still so much stigma and I don't know how that's going to be used. Like it's hard to know how that information can be used. Um, and being in a new industry, like what if I look for another job and someone uses that against me implicitly like that's illegal right but people still have implicit biases so as much as I want to have feel fully free to do that I'm just not ready for that yet and, and I want to be mm -hmm. uh, yeah and that's okay you know like that's okay and you know and I mean it's like uh, as much as our purpose is to try to like is to try to bust that stigma, break that stigma, whatever is, it's still there. Still there. The reason yeah. why we are working to break it yeah. is it's there. Like, if someone right. listens to this and hears my very distinct voice, like, and that's <laughs> totally fine. Like, <laughs> that feels safe, but something that's more like publicly out there, especially someone who deliberately doesn't really have a social media presence too much like it, it just feels a little too public right now yeah and you know what's important right now is you're getting your message out there and you know your experience and I think it's important like for people to hear that no matter what and I think you're really brave for sharing all this with us and you know with the public because um you know, our our podcast gets listened to by millions of people and <laughs> It should. It will. <laughs> we've got we've got over a thousand listeners. <laughs> I have I've tried to message Billie Eilish. Uh, <laughs> Come on, I, but she doesn't receive messages on Instagram. It's not. I want. I just want to say that like I have had trouble listening to most podcasts during the pandemic because I don't drive anywhere and I don't like walk outside as much, and that's when mm. I listen. This is like the one podcast where I can just like lay on my bed or the couch and listen to it. And I like can just listen. I don't need to. Be oh, that I makes love me that. happy. And that's what it's supposed to be like. Like we want it to be like listenable, you know, and not just like too much. Like it's not a, you know, it's good. It's just good. Good stuff. Yeah. So awesome. All right. Well, we do have to wrap up and Carly has a question that you know, it's really important. I do. I ask all my guests this because it's always something that I feel like just really instills hope into people. And I just wanted to ask you. So the question is, if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would you tell her? It's like, it's the exact same thing I've told in, in my ending the silence presentation, how I wrap up. And it's always like, you can always pivot from a career plan. It's never set in stone. And mm -hmm. if it doesn't make you happy and make you want to get out of bed in the morning, you should not be doing it. You should be doing something else. And there are way more possibilities out there than you can ever imagine. I love that. Cause it's I so, so, like, so powerful. Like you can just pivot period, right? Like whatever a career path, a life path, a whatever path, the opportunity to pivot is there. And I think that that's such a good reminder, Irene. So thank you for that. Yeah. You're wonderful. 
You are, and I'm so happy. I think you're amazing, and I miss you. <laughs> I miss you guys too. Like, yeah, great to see you guys. But I wish I could stop by the office and give you guys hugs. And I know, I know. Um, so we do. So let's wrap up. Uh, so you can find the Yana podcast though is on social media, and you can find us on Instagram at the Yana Podcast, and um, we put out new episodes every Tuesday on all platforms. And I also just want to tell everyone we offer support groups. We offer a whole bunch of different kinds of support groups, but we offer um, a young adult support group that's for ages 18 to 25 every Monday at six o'clock on Zoom. Um, You can go to namiphilly.org. I just want to say .com org namiphilly.org to register and get the zoom link we also offer a teen support group every wednesday at four o'clock and that is for ages 13 to through 18 so um yeah so you can go to namiphilly.org to register and yes. get uh the zoom login for both of those meetings as well as check out the variety of different kinds of support groups that we offer. Yeah, there's a support group every day, um, pretty much. So if you're a young adult, a a youth, a youth, or an adult, adult, um, there is a group for you. So (laughs) yeah, cool. So that's that's all, folks. (laughs) That's all, folks. (laughs) Awesome. Um, You are, but you know what? It's endearing, and I love you for it. Thank you, thank you. All right, well... Goodbye. <laughs> you always say peace and love. Peace and peace love. And love. <laughs>